Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner podcast, where birders talk birding. My guest on this episode is Melissa Hafting. Melissa is a longtime BC birder who's been a shining example of leadership and welcoming young birders into our community. She was honored with the Daphne Selecki Young Birders Award by BC Nature recently, and we talk about that on the show, as well as how she developed the Young Birder Program in British Columbia. She's also the manager of the British Columbia Rear Bird Alert, as well as the organizer of pelagic trips out of Tofino, BC, a guide for Avocet tours, and just an all-round active birder. Melissa was recently featured on the ABA podcast, All Canada episode, uh, where in recognition of Canada Day, uh, all of the guests on the show were from Canada, and it's really a good episode. I recommend that you check out Nate Swick's ABA podcast, the most recent episode on the on the ABA podcast. But Melissa on that show talks about birding in her part, the western part of Canada, British Columbia. But also that whole episode, uh, the whole Canada Day this year has been subdued in recognition of really the atrocities and uh, cultural genocide of of uh, Native Canadians. Uh, and uh, it's kind of a really, uh, you know, difficult topic right now. Uh, but I want you to check out the ABA podcast for discussion of that and more. Melissa told me when I reached out to her that we had met in the field on several occasions. And, and as we talked, I was brought back to a really magical moment at a spot near the mouth of the Columbia River where Townsend's warblers were just all over the place. It was just fascinating. What were they doing? They were on the ground, just feeding and just very tame and very close in big numbers, more than I've ever seen in one place of Townsend's warblers at the same time. And we talk about that in the episode too. That was a great example of what Blair Burnson, one of my previous guests, talks about as a consolation prize when you go on a twitch. When you chase a bird, it's always nice to have a consolation prize in mind or, or something that comes up that makes the trip wonderful, even if you don't get the target bird. And we missed uh, the rustic bunting that we were both hoping for on that chase, uh, but the Townsend's Warbler show was worth the showing of itself. Uh, and really, that's a really keen memory of mine. With that introduction, help me welcome Melissa Hafting to the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 105. Melissa, welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast. Thanks for being on with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. Yeah, I, uh, I've known about you for a long time, uh, sort of here and there. You're a big uh, mover and shaker in the BC birding community and run the rare bird alert and everything. So I've sort of known of you. And I think we met, you mentioned that we've met a couple of times, but boy, my memory's got to be got to be failing me when was that um i i've met you a few times actually yeah. <laughs> and in washington but uh i was chasing a rustic bunting and you were as well oh we yes both, okay we, we both dipped on it but yeah, <laughs> i met yeah. you there remember that day remember all of the townsend's warblers that day oh yes. my was that insane i'd yeah. never seen that it was all over the ground yeah it was incredible they were just dropping from trees everywhere it was very, very neat to see, especially in the wintertime. Yeah, very cool. I uh, I met one of my other guests there too, Andrew Emlin. I don't know if you know Andrew. He is a good birder and runs a, a kayaking place out of uh, down on the Columbia River in Skamania County. He's a big Skamania County birder. And he told me the story of why they were on the ground. There's some little worm that, it, that hatches at that time of year. Some little, I don't know what it is, but something about the fur, those little uh brown cone things that drop out of the fir trees. I guess they have some little insect in them that has a, a little tiny 
larval stage. And I guess they were all down eating those. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't know that. Learn something when, when you get out with smart people, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Anyway, I, I wanted to talk probably the thing that excites me most about talking with you is your work with the young birders in the Van greater Vancouver area. Uh, I'm on the WASP board and we're trying to come up with, you know, creative ways to involve young birders and, and you know, propagate the, the birding community. How did that all begin? And how did you make that such a success? Well, I started that in 2014 and I just noticed lots of young birders birding alone and there was quite a few of them in the Vancouver area and I thought, well, this would be great to bring them together and form a little group, go on, you know, nature hikes, looking at birds and about the environment. And I started asking them one by one, would they like to join? And they all said, yes, so I really want to. And we formed this group and uh, called the Young Birders Program. And I just took them on field trips to places outside of Vancouver so they would see you know, species that they don't normally see at home. And it started to grow across the province to over 25 kids. And it's just been really fantastic. And the kids have just, uh, well, they taught me so much. <laughs> I learned so much from them. They were so passionate about the environment and birds. It's great. Yeah, it is cool. Were, were there, give me, some, give me, give us uh, some hints. How, if, if to you know, create a, a safe and inviting community for young people. I mean, you were pretty young when you started that. So that was mm -hmm. a plus. Uh, how would, how would a, you know, a birding community try to nurture their youth? How, give us some ideas. Well, I think it's really important to talk to them in like in a respectful manner, not, you know, make them feel included in, in, in the birding community um, by giving them platforms to, you know, discuss things and, uh, just, I think, you know, a lot of them feel sometimes that adults talk down to them and this way you're making them on the same level and just, yeah, getting them out uh, birding with you. They really love to have a mentor that will just take them out and go birding. Even if you can't do trips with like big groups, uh, that's just something that I think young people really appreciate. They really like learning from more experienced birders and it's funny because the experienced birders really learn from the young birders when you have them with you. I've learned For so sure. much from them. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Were there, was this a formal sort of thing? Did you, you know, develop a formal organization or just grow organically? How did it come about? So it started just by myself doing it, um, you know, talking to parents and seeing if they'd be cool with it. And they all were. And then uh, the BCFO, which is British Columbia field ornithologists, started noticing what I was doing mm -hmm. by taking these kids out and they asked me to come under their umbrella. So they started providing me with insurance and some subsidies for children that, you know, couldn't afford it. Um, also, they would pay a portion of the gas and the rental car and stuff like that to help me out. And parents would pay another portion that could afford it. And we would go on these trips. And so it became an official program under uh, the British Columbia Field Ornithologist that way, which was really great. And yeah, the kids just loved it. And I learned so much and it's been really great. So I encourage Washington to do the same. Yeah, I'm hoping we can figure out a way to make that happen. Uh, I know that you were recognized by uh, the Daphne Selecki Award by the BC Nature uh, Group recently. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Did you have a mentor when you were a young bird or somebody who uh, you know, was a role model to you to become a mentor to all these, uh, all these kids? I actually didn't. And I think that was one of the reasons why 
I wanted to be a mentor to young people. I mean, I really love working with youth. I've always loved volunteering and stuff with youth, but um, I think because I just kind of did it myself that I thought it would be really nice to kind of share my knowledge with people who are younger than I and uh, because they're the future, right? They're the ones that are going to protect our planet. For sure. And, and birds. So it's really important, I think, to educate them about uh, why it's important to protect these birds and planet. Exactly. So nice work. Keep it up. And uh, hopefully others will take your follow your lead. That That's really good stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, you're also a big lister. I mean, I, I say you're a big lister. You appear to be a big lister from looking at uh, uh, the top 100, et cetera, in uh, British Columbia and uh, the Vancouver area. What What about birding gets you most excited? Uh, obviously, you you do pelagic trips, you lead trips. Uh, what really uh, gets you going? Uh, well, I love all different aspects of birding from just birding in my yard, like you know, looking at common birds, but I am a big lister, like you say. I like to keep my provincial British Columbia list. I have a Washington list. I have a Metro Vancouver list, you know, county listing. I, I love doing county listing every year. And uh, I love chasing rare birds. Uh, you know, I run the BC Rare Bird Alert. So I, I also love chasing rare birds and going across the province to see them. I do go into Washington to see them. Right now, the borders close. I've yeah. I wanted to come see your common crane down there and everything. Oh, that had to kill you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love shorebirding. And like you said, I do pelagics. We, we don't have a wonderful uh, company like you guys have with Westport Pelagics where you guys can go all the time here. We got to charter our own boat and, and it's not so easy to get out at a Tofino because of the weather. But uh, yeah, I, I love doing pelagic trips. We've seen some cool birds up here like you guys get in Westport. We do. Now, are the birds much different there? I've not taken a pelagic out of uh, Tofino. Uh, are the birds much different there? Do you get more Alaskan stuff? Do you get more, sh say, short-tailed shearwaters or uh, short-tailed albatross or, you know, uh, uh, you know, things we think of as more being uh, Alaskan, Alaskan type uh, pelagics? I really don't think so. I think it's pretty much the same. Like I see what you guys report and what we get up here and we get about the similar sort of things. In fact, I think you guys get more parakeet auklets. You guys get to go out more, but still when you get the numbers, you seem to get more than we do. Um, but it's about the same for, for the things because I know you guys have had short-tailed albatross. We've had it up here too and, and things like that. You guys seem to get some really great rarities too on your pelagics, like gray wagtail and shy albatross and things like that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's been going a lot of times a year for a lot of years. So, mm -hmm. and so, the, so the leaders are just fabulous. Westport seabirds is, I mean, I, I'm sure you know, but it's the longest running, uh, uh, data collecting pelagic uh, group in the world. They have over yeah. 40, 40 years of regular data collection on pelagic trips. So boy, it's just, I, a, it's a great, uh, great group. It's wonderful. And, and the guides are just wonderful. Bill Tweed, you know, Bruce Labar, all of them, Ryan Merrill, they're great. Yeah, they are terrific. It's just an, a great group. And Phil who run, Phil uh, and Chris who run the ships are there. So good with Amazing. them both. And they're both like having two extra leaders on the trip by now. They know all the birds. And yeah. Bill will turn the boat and start running somewhere. And I was like, what are you doing? He says, I think we've got something out there. <laughs> A mile or two later, we'll come across something good usually. So yeah, yeah. it's really Pretty good. wonderful. 
I, I took a look at the BC Rare Bird Alert. Uh, it looks like it's uh, more of a uh, online version of the old-fashioned telephone-free rare bird alert than maybe tweeters, which is just a uh, relatively unrefereed, you know, list what you see sort of thing. Uh, is that a fair statement? It seems like people send you the sightings and then you collate them and give good directions and that sort of thing. Yes, that's exactly it. So it's basically a listing of all the rare birds that get reported to me that are, you know, that I are documented well and everything. And I put them up there and uh, people go and chase them and people look at them every single day, that website. We have different moderators for different regions of the province and I handle the provincial rarities and the ones in Vancouver. So it sounds like you probably have backup too. So if you need a day off, someone else can manage it for you. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I don't get a day off really. <laughs> yeah. I, I was afraid of that. <laughs> Yeah. No rest for the weary. No rest <laughs> yeah. for the weary at all. Good. Uh, so uh, what what is uh, left for you to do birding around uh, BC? Have you pretty much birded the entire uh, province uh, extensively? Yes, I pretty much have. I mean, BC is a huge, a huge province. So I have birded all of BC, but I, there's lots of places that I haven't seen every part and I need to go back and do it more properly. You know, like the piece is so many hours away, so I don't get to go there very often. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and what's great about BC is that we have, you know, some Eastern warblers up in the piece. And then we've got the shorebirds down here in, in Vancouver, which are really incredible. Um, so there's just a big diversity. For those of us who are geographically impaired, the piece, help me. Uh, that's up in Fort St. John, which is up in the northern part of the province on the Alberta border there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> as so far as north as you can go. <laughs> you call that the piece? Yeah, we call it the piece. Okay. Like peace, like uh, peace, love, and happiness piece or... Uh, yeah. like a piece of candy piece. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> Good. Uh, so Melissa, did you miss any big birding trips during this pandemic? Things that you had planned that you didn't, didn't get to go on or maybe looking forward to in the near future? Yeah, well, my pelagic in March that I love to do where we've had some really good birds like short tail albatross that got canceled when I booked in the summer also got canceled. So we're hoping to get out again in the end of August, which mm -hmm. will be great. And then I, I miss some there's lots of birds. There was a travel ban on in BC and we weren't allowed to travel certain areas. So some of the rarities we weren't able to go chase, uh, but that's, you know, it's all for the betterment of making sure people are safe, but now our travel bans lifted so we can travel and most people are vaccinated with at least the first dose here. So hoping Good. for, you know, better Hope. travel times. Yeah, we're all hoping for that. Do you have any idea when, the, I mean, not that we're in politics, do you have any idea on when the uh, border ban is going to get lifted? Or is there any rumor about that? <laughs> well, I thought it would have been lifted by now, but it's. So it did says, I. Yeah, they said end of July they're going to reassess it. So I'm probably thinking in September we'll have it open by then, I hope. Oh, good. I would hope so. Seems, seems like it's time to me, but what do I know? You know. I know. And little place that I love to bird is actually Point Roberts, which is in Washington and Whatcom County. And we can't even get in there. 
Yes, it, they they did. I just heard that they they made some exception for Point Roberts residents who could just get in their car and drive around the U.S. and get back to Point Roberts again. Now that was maybe a month ago. I read that. So at yeah. least they're not at least they're not trapped there. Like I know for a long time. It's uh, becoming like a ghost town there. It's very sad. I would guess. I would guess for those listeners who don't know, Point Roberts is Point Roberts, isn't it? Point Roberts is a a little tiny peninsula sort of that uh, is part of the United States, but the only way you can get there by land is to go through British Columbia. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, an oddity, geographic oddity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good birding though, though. I've been there. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Uh, Melissa, uh, do you have any uh, travel plans coming up the next year? Do you have any uh, things you're excited about uh, outside well, of outside of the area? Yeah, well, I was actually just thinking about your last question where you asked me where I was planning to go and did I miss any trips? I did. I was actually leading a trip to Nome and that got canceled because of, yeah. of the pandemic. So hopefully I can get back to Nome. And I did Thailand last last year and oh, wow. uh, I'd like to go to Peru. Um, that'd be next probably on my list. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, so it, will this be the first trip you've led to Nome or have you uh, birded there quite a bit? I've birded there before, but this would be um, the first trip with this group, Avocet Tours. Okay. Leading there. Yeah. Very nice. So you're, uh, you're going to be a, like the pro on a, uh, so to speak, on a, uh, a trip arranged by a tour company? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I didn't sure if you, yeah, a guide that's better. A pro, you yeah, know, guide, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, I, I wasn't sure if you were putting together a trip for your local Audubon or how, or was it, uh, for a group. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you said you went to Thailand. What was that like? Oh, it was amazing. It was my first time to, to really to Asia. Cause I've only, I've been to Turkey in that part of Asia, but uh, Thailand was very, very different. And I just saw uh, just the amazing diversity of birds and the, you know, the hornbills and uh, trogans, and it, it was just incredible. I love Thailand and the shorebirds, of course, of course, the spoon-billed sandpiper. And yeah, yeah it was amazing. Have you been? There, I have, I visited my son in Thailand. Uh, my son is not a birder, but he, ob- he obliged me and we get out. For, uh, I visited him for five days. Uh, he was, my son is a, a digital nomad. He travels all over the place and works online and can kind of live wherever he has good internet and a dry place to sleep. Uh, and mm-hmm. so he is, he is living a different life than a lot of people, but mm-hmm. he's loving it. And he was in uh, Chiang Mai for gosh, a few months, a year to a before the pandemic, a couple of years ago. And so I visited him in Chiang Mai and we spent five days there and I got uh, a really one day, good day of birding with a guide. And uh, and then went to Cambodia for five days and I got one really good day of birding in Cambodia. So my Asian experience is very limited, uh, but super different. Oh yeah, that's it's super different. It's, it's really, really neat. Did you go on your own or did you go with a group? I went with uh, four friends. Very nice. Yeah, it was a really great time. Did some of them have a lot of Asian birding experience or were you all Uh, uh, making it up as you went? No, two of them had a lot of Asian birding experience. That really helps. (laughs) Yeah, it does. 
<laughs> Good for you. I bet you had a blast. Uh, and you said Peru. I, I was hoping to go to Peru. I had a trip all set. I'm, I'm a Rotarian in our local Rotary Club. And Rotary Clubs have something called Rotary Friendship Exchanges, where uh, a group of Rotarians from one area go and, and visit four or five different clubs in different cities uh, in, the, in another country usually and then they come up and we put them up here and do the same thing and I had some birding arranged for before that and was gonna gonna get uh, out and see a few birds but that uh, that was canceled uh, two oh. two years in a row it's been canceled so I don't know if that's ever going to come together oh it's too bad yeah things happen that's a mm -hmm. definitely definitely not the uh, true tragedy of this pandemic but it's a, we mm -hmm. all have our things we miss yeah I really do miss traveling, though. I mean, like you said, it's not the true tragedy of the pandemic, but it's uh, you definitely miss it for sure. Yes, that is for sure. Uh, do you have some really good birding friends in BC that you bird with a lot? Yeah, I, I, I that's what I love about birding is that it, it brings a sense of community and you get these lifelong friends that I've met so many friends that are so important to me now through birding. Um, it's I think that's one of the greatest things about our hobby is the people in the in the hobby and how yeah you just get a really good sense of community and uh i'm really blessed with some great friends up here in bc yeah that is that is the same here we've got a terrific birding community here in tacoma uh, i mean it's really come together uh, uh a young young birder uh, will brooks uh, from California uh, went to school at UPS, which is right here in Tacoma, and he is oh, he is really, really, really good. Uh, and uh, it was been so fun to have Will around the last four or five years. He just uh, finds us really good birds. Yeah, didn't he just find a winter wren? That was he's found some really great stuff. He did. He did. First, first state record right here. I mean, in a place we all bird all the time. And I, I suspect that most of us would have walked right by it, but he heard it and said, oh, that's different. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, uh, awesome. Sussed out a winter wren that, uh, you know, tons of birds got. He also, oh, he got a clay colored sparrow in the county, I think was the mm -hmm. first county record. He got gray flycatcher in the county, which is the first county record. And just he's just really been all over it. And uh, the great news is he got a job on JBLM for the summer. So he's here for at least a little bit longer. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Melissa, do you have a day job? What do you do for work? I'm actually a fisheries biologist. Oh, so birding, birding is my hobby. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, so you've got that in common with Bill Twite. I think Bill, I don't know if he's a fisheries biologist, but he certainly works with uh, fisheries a lot. So do you work for the gov a governmental agency or do you work for a private con going concern? Uh, no, like the federal government. A federal government. That's about as yeah. big a governmental agency as they get. Yes. <laughs> Does your work take you to the field a lot? Do you get to do, uh, you know, oh, I'm working, but I'm doing a little birding or do you more lab-based stuff? No, mostly I'm outside in the water. So that's really, really nice. Um, you know, I can't really go birding while I'm working, but I can definitely hear the birds while I'm outside. So I, I really love that aspect of the job. Yeah, good for you. When you can have a chance to feed your passion and do your occupation at the same time, that is extra special. Yes. Around uh, Vancouver, you, you live in Vancouver, near Vancouver, don't you? I do, yes. Yeah. So uh, Vancouver is a popular place for people to visit for lots of different reasons. Name some really good birding spots, right? You know, easily accessible from, uh, from you know, 
more or less Metro Vancouver. Well, Rifle Bird Sanctuary is a really great spot. I mean, it has lots of different bird species and you've got shorebirds because you've got the nice lagoons there. That's in Ladner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boundary Bay is our, it's kind of like where you guys have uh, Bottle Beach where you get to see all the shorebirds. Mm-hmm. We have, that's our best shorebirding site. And we've had lots of good things there like Little Stint, Redneck Stint, uh, all the Godwits and things like that. So that's a great place to go in the summer for shorebird migration and um, Stanley Park is one of our big parks. It's like kind of like Central Park in New York. And that is a great place because you have freshwater lakes in there that you can see the freshwater birds. And then they're surrounded by ocean. So you can see scoters and stuff, huge rafts of scoters and Bonaparte's gulls in the winter. It's another great spot in Vancouver. So those are, those are some of the three really good spots. <laughs> so yeah, so Boundary Bay. I, I had kind of forgotten about Boundary Bay. So, you know, I haven't been to Canada in a couple of years. That mm-hmm. I remember snowy owls is the big thing I remember at Boundary Bay. That, yes. that in a couple of invasion years or eruption years, there were, oh my goodness, huge numbers of snowy owls there. Yes. Uh, we haven't had an eruption in quite a while now, but no. that is a great place to see snowy owls and also in winter, lots of different raptors like shorted owls and, uh, you know, harriers and things like that. So it's really, it's really great in the winter and, and summer for shorebirds. Yeah. I think of it, uh, is a, a lot like our Skagit, uh, Skagit, Samish Skagit flats for in the winter too, with raptors and, and, uh, birds of the big wet fields, shorebirds and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Nice place. Great. Uh, so Melissa, do you have any uh, advice to young birders or people coming along and birding? What, what would you uh, tell people? What do you think they should uh, focus on? For new birders? Yeah, think, or, or anyone. Yeah, um, I think they should try to, you know, all you really need is a pair of binoculars. I mean, not there, you don't have to go and buy fancy cameras or fancy scopes just to get started. Uh, get a really good field guide and get out there and and the best way to learn birds is I find to get out there and see them so go out and look at as many birds as possible travel around in in different habitats you know mountain forest everything ocean and and see as many birds as you can and I think that's the best way to to learn Um, you know like try to join a local nature club or Audubon group and uh, and I think you know go out as many walks as possible try to get into the birding community by, by, by joining these groups. And then you get to meet new people and go on trips and walks. And I think that's the best way to get into it. Good advice. Just do it. Exactly. Good. And Melissa, give us a, a quick rundown on the uh, BC rare bird alert. What's happening for make us drool. We can't go there. So take it, make <laughs> us drool. What's happening up there in the last, uh, well, you know, this uh, spring migration, what were the highlights? Well, in Vancouver, there was a curlew sandpiper that was pretty neat. That was in one of our first, I think it was our first spring record of curlew sandpiper. Um, That was really cool. We also had a white rump sandpiper. Uh, Me and a guy named Ilya found that one. Um, And I think you guys had quite a few white rump sandpipers this spring as well. We, we had one at least. I'm not sure we had more than one, but yes, we had the one right up, right up in Edmonds. So, yeah. That was a yeah. crazy, crazy story. I think I talked about that on our previous episode, Bruce Labar, Ken Brown and I were, we were set for just an overnight trip to central Washington. We were going to try to get some night birds. We were going to look for our flammulated owls and different things. And we we're cruising our way over. We found a Williamson sapsucker and we just got over the 
bump over the over the mountain and headed down and got cell contact again. And Bruce said, "There's a white rabbit sandpaper in Edmonds." Oh, so we kind of bemoaned that we weren't going to see that. And then we said, "What do you mean we can see that?" So we drove over and saw the bird, and uh, got back. It's like two thirty three in the afternoon by the time we saw the bird. And and uh, I looked at traffic, and it was just a parking lot all the way from Seattle to Tacoma. It was going to take us over two hours just to get from Seattle to Tacoma. So. We decided we'll just drive back to the east side and continue our trip. It was took less less time than it took to get to, to Tacoma from Seattle. So that was our that was our white rump sandpiper story. Uh, but yeah, sherbets were good. We had a little stint and 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 the and the white rump this spring, so it was really good yeah. here. Yeah, you had a little stint, a rough, and I think you had a rough as well. Pro, rough is yeah. I don't. Did we have a spring rough? We could have. I, I yeah. You had one in. I'm pretty sure you had one in March, which was. Pretty incredible, if I, I remember think, right. I think you're right. I, I'm sure you're right. I just don't remember. That, <laughs> I was I was moving at that time of the year, and I kind of took about three weeks and just uh, didn't didn't even look because I didn't want to know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, in BC, we've had like you guys some good spring shorebirds, which were pretty cool. We've had a few dick sisals and surprisingly high number of dick sisals, uh, chestnut sided warbler, uh, and few couple snowy plovers. Um, for us, I know they breed for you guys in Washington, but for us, it's, it's a really rare bird. Um, and an acorn woodpecker and some hooded orioles. So it's, yeah. And a black throated sparrow. So I guess the curlew sandpiper was probably our biggest, our biggest bird in May. Yeah, that's black throated sparrows. They've been absent for two or three years in Washington. We had a little place that they would come to for a few years. But, you know, do you think that the drought and in the Southwest is driving some of these guys up here? That's my theory. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it might be. I mean, there's been so many white faced ibises in BC this year, and they must be moving up because of the drought. I mean, sure. I don't know. There's just so many records, like not abnormal for us to have this many white faced ibis. Um, and there's been Costas hummingbirds and things like that here. So mm -hmm. it's been, yeah, it's been really strange, actually. It seems like that might be, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to stick or it's just the drought, but, you know, it seems like things have been pushed up from the Southwest that maybe would prefer to be down there, but can't find any water. Yeah, maybe. Very well. <laughs> Hard to say. Well, Melissa, thanks so much. I try to give my guests a, a chance to make sure people can contact them if, if you know if listeners want to reach out to you. Melissa, how would be the best way for somebody to find you? Would it be through the Rare Bird Alert or do you have a preferred method? Yeah, they can find me at the bcbirdalert.blogspot.com or they can email me at bcbirdagirl at gmail.com. And I'm always happy to help with any questions or identification problems or any things like that. They can always get in touch with me. They, I, I almost forgot. They can also find you on Instagram. Oh, you are a good photographer, Melissa. I, uh, I, I envy good photographers. I am definitely a, a genuine picture taker on a good day. Uh, but you, you've had some really good photography on. So follow it's BC Birder Girl. Isn't that your Instagram handle? Yes, it is. Thank At you. BC, it's birder with an er too. I keep looking for BC bird girl. It's birder girl, not bird girl. And so, yeah, I can find you on Instagram and check out some of Melissa's pictures, the photos. They are really, really good. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have any formal photography training, or do you pretty much self-taught? I'm pretty much self-taught. I mean, I did a few workshops, and when I first got my camera back in 2014, and uh, 
yeah, I've just been, you know, I didn't, I didn't take pictures before 2014 and I just got out there and kept taking pictures and I learned by trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Before digital photography and, you know, good digital photography for our telephoto stuff came, became affordable and doable. I mean, it was a big deal to take pictures, you know, mm -hmm. rolls of film and cost of developing. And it, you know, I don't think, a, you know, it was a, something you had to be seriously interested in to even try, but now, yeah. now, you know, we see, birders of all ages out with without even bins just birding with a camera so yeah i know it's 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 changed the whole world of birding now uh you have to have photos now for people to believe your sightings and uh, it's also been really good because it's people who are new at birding they'll take a picture and say oh what's this and you you get the picture like oh my gosh that's a hooded oriole or something like yeah. that so it's it's really changed birding i find it has. It, it's mm -hmm. a big revolution. It's been a change the whole nature of the thing. I mean, who, who sits down and writes good field notes about a sighting now? <laughs> they, it, photo attached is the yeah. e-bird e uh, ending. Uh, <laughs> plus, I also want to make sure I give you a chance to give a shout out to a cause. Do you have any, uh, you know, any uh, cause or organization you want to make sure people know about? Well, I just, I just will say one thing that I think it's important that we make sure that we're very inclusive in the birding community and that we try to make everybody feel comfortable because there are, you know, as a minority myself, it's really important, I think, to uh, be welcoming to all different races and gender identities and just make sure that people feel welcome in this community because, like, everyone deserves to have a, a safe spot and a place in nature. So that's what I'll say. I will second that and thank you for bringing it up. It's much appreciated and, and always uh, needed and at least in my presence, welcome. So thanks so much for bringing up that uh, subject. Melissa, thanks again for being my guest today. I really appreciate having you on the podcast. It's been fun talking to you and thanks again. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. It was really fun. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast number 105 with Melissa Hafting. I feel really fortunate to have had the chance to get to know Melissa a little more during this podcast episode. I really hope that we can learn from her work in British Columbia and get a young birders program going in Washington to emulate the great work she's done in BC. Thanks for listening. As always, check the blog post on birdbanner.com for a post with lots more details, links, photographs, that sort of thing related to this episode. In the podcast notes, as well as on the blog post, you can find links to Melissa's Instagram site and her website. Stay tuned for the next episode when you'll hear from Chris Bell and Diego Calderon, Columbia Birders, who have the new YouTube channel, The Birder Show. I really recommend that to you. The Birder Show is a terrific new resource for birders who want some great video content. And really, it's a great series. Check it out. Until then, though, thanks for listening. Good birding and good day. Good day.